We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Yeah, Lynn actually has a really busy schedule, and there was some question about whether or not he would do his interviews because many consider him the favorite for the Buffalo job. Met with them yesterday down in Boca Raton, so the thought was maybe they would wrap up then, but it didn't. So Anthony Lynn is headed out to California, going to meet with the Rams on Sunday or maybe Monday, depending on some schedule. And then the Chargers also put in a request, and it's interesting with the Chargers, Kate, because they have on their list of candidates only defensive coaches and special teams coach Dave Tobe. Lynn would be the first actual offensive coach they would interview. So a little bit of a different direction there and maybe a widening of their search. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I'm your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear, my, my producer Chris Kruger, and that was Ian Rappaport from NFL Network talking about Anthony Lynn. Uh, you know, he's on the circuit. He's making the rounds now. Getting interviews. He's, he's, I, I'm actually really surprised how much his name has been kind of thrown around by people. He's getting a second with the Chargers. Yeah, he just today he just got his second interview with the Chargers now. I, it's curious to me to see him linked to so many different jobs. And we got a lot to talk about, you know, coaching. We got the kind of our year overview. We got a lot of stuff to touch on tonight. Are you okay, though, after last <sighs> night? I, I'm are tired. You, are you? I'm are tired you f- what I am. Nothing broke. Nothing in my house is broken after Alabama lost to Clemson on a last-second touchdown that, I'll be honest, was a good one. I got belligerently drunk. You're not going to call a, a P.I. or a pick there, right? I mean, no, the last- that one touchdown was definitely a pick. But, hey, Alabama was cheap-shotting people all night, so I can't complain. Yeah, Mike Williams had a headshot in the first quarter that didn't get called (laughs) here's here's what i know alabama came out and played a really good game but when they needed it our rookie quarterback just couldn't find his game and just could not make throws when he needed to and unfortunately that was the difference in the game you know we lost our our dynamic running back that was kind of powering us to victory at that point and as soon as scarborough went out with that broken leg that was it 
our offense, I, I think they showed a statistic in the second half. We only had four first downs in the entire second half. That's kind of pathetic. But the I think the one takeaway for Bills fans from last night's national title game is did Deshaun Watson play out of his mind to enter into the top five of the draft? I think, I think what you saw last night was a lot of good and bad from Deshaun Watson. I think you saw some of the throws that make scouts nervous about him. You know, you saw some of them where he, I don't want to say indecision, but because he's not, it's not even indecision. I don't know what it is. Sometimes he'll throw a ball that's just ugly or I don't, or that I don't know where it's going. You know, you might be able to compare him to who's that many regard last night is to be the best national title game of all time, rivaling USC and Texas. Mm hmm. Vince Young balled out that game, and then he went to Tennessee, eventually played for Buffalo. So he wasn't good at all, but you wonder if maybe it's, we got our focus on just one game where Deshaun Watson balled out. You know, he might be a Vince Young. We don't know. I don't know. I thanks well, for thanks for reminding me of that, Chris. I had I firmly. I don't know whether it's the alcohol or just time, but I had blocked out the fact that Vince Young played in a Bills jersey. Thanks for bringing that back. You oh, jerk. you're welcome. What a jerk. So, guys, and it, it, I guess I don't know how else to say it, but uh, congratulations, Clemson. You fucks. You got me. You got me. You got the old boy Drew Gear, and I stayed up drowning my sorrows until approximately one a.m. God bless my girlfriend. I don't know how she does it. So before we continue with the show, I wanted to, I want to talk to you guys, our listeners. Now, this is our second year doing the podcast. And last season, I took a look at our numbers. I, I have a I kind of track all of our numbers, try to keep track on our list, you know, our metrics as far as when we get listened to different things, just to see if I can pick out our own trends, things of that nature. What I found is that last year in our very first season ever doing the podcast, for the first season, we finished the season with 1,137 downloads. And during the regular season, we averaged 59 downloads per week. For a rookie podcast, it's not terrible. We went through a couple different platform changes. We went through... We're also not celebrities. <clears throat> Most people that listen to podcasts listen to podcasts because celebrities that do them. Yeah. And we're not celebrities. You might be within the confines of New Era Field. I mean, I'm fa I'm famous in my own mind, but um, no, we, we're not. So coming into this season, I took a look back at our at our total numbers and then our regular season numbers. Now this year we did a lot of preseason work that we didn't do last year, but we finished this year with 5,392 total downloads. We averaged during weeks one through 17 185 downloads per week on average. Guys, I love it. Thank, thank you for showing up and listening to us. You know, that, I, I, nothing makes me happier than getting up here with a couple beers and some pizza. I got to look at this jerk across the table from me, and we talk about the bills. Hey, I told you this might be a good idea, and you were like, nobody's going to listen to me <laughs> ramble about the bills, and guess what? Well, it's working. Well, for all of you out there who go to take time out of your week to listen to what my drunk ass has to say about the Buffalo Bills, I appreciate it. This beer's for you. Cheers, Chris. Cheers. As we do every summer, we are going from here on out, the Rockpile Report will be bi-weekly. You know, there's just not enough on a weekly basis. You know, pre there's pre-draft work, obviously. There's stuff that you can talk about. But on a week-to-week -week basis, there just isn't enough to generate an hour or so's worth of content on a consistent basis. 
And so rather than subject you guys to more just drunken ramblings about the same things over and over again, because let's face it, that's what that's what WGR 550 is for. You can turn it on and they'll be rehashing the same nonsense day in and day out. We don't want to do that to you guys. So every two weeks, we're going to come out with another podcast. On the off weeks, we're going to try to get together and do a Facebook Live at least once, if not twice a week, twice a month. Yeah, that seems about seems about reasonable. And uh, yeah, well, you know, I, I know we co- we come here every Tuesday, uh, maybe Wednesdays, but you know, summer's around the corner, so you do softball. I play hockey a lot, so uh, during the probably June July months, you might see us on off days, maybe a Monday or a Thursday. But for the most part, we'll try to keep it. Tuesdays, but but it's the summer. <laughs> Everybody's out doing stuff because there's no snow on the ground. Nobody <laughs> wants to listen to our drunk asses. <laughs> but guys, again, thank you so much for showing up every week, listening to our show, and I we we love the feedback, the interaction we get with you guys on Twitter and Facebook. It's fantastic. I love it. Yeah, that's what gets me up here every week. And with that, we're gonna we're gonna launch right into it. This week's Buffalo Bills news update. Reggie Ragland is on the mend. Now, in an interview this week with Matthew Fairburn, news broke that linebacker Reggie, Ra- Reggie Ragland's rehab, it's going pretty well. And he's still not able to do things like cutting. He's still not, you know, he's, he's running. He's doing some, some working out of the lower body. And it looks like he's going to be on track to be fully healthy and ready to play come training camp in August. I mean, that's big. You know, you figure he tore his ACL last summer. They're clearly not rushing him. No, well, it's a 12-month time frame. I mean, I I'm, I'm, wouldn't be opposed to sitting him out in the preseason. Oh, no, absolutely. If you feel like he looks good in training camp, maybe towards the end of the preseason. You get him in there for some snaps. You let him run around. Because ultimately, he's going to have to learn to trust that knee again. I just I think about Reggie Raglan. I think about what he is, and it, it's it, it's an interesting case, and it's something to keep an eye on. I think it's, I think it's one of the more underrated storylines for the Bills going into the offseason. I mean, you got to figure there's so much that's up in the air for our team right now. We still don't know who our coach is. We still don't know who our D coordinator is, or what kind of system we're going to be running next year. And we don't know who our offensive coordinator is. Nope. So he was drafted to fit Rex. Run- now I shouldn't say to fit his scheme. He, he's a great linebacker. But he's a great linebacker who's good at certain things. He's a very good inside linebacker. Now, you just look at everything that's going on around him. So Zach Brown, Zach Brown played his balls off this season, and he's in line for a sizable second contract. Well, he did put out a statement on Instagram, which you don't have. I run the one for our podcast. <laughs> yeah, but I refuse. He, Instagram, Twitter's enough for me. Instagram's too far. But he put an Instagram post out and made it seem like he's not coming back. We don't know that for sure, but for the ones that saw his post, it made it look like he's not coming back. Well, I'll be honest. Do you blame him? He played He played well enough to deserve a couple million a year on a long-term deal somewhere. The Bills may not have the financial flexibility to be able to do it. So, uh, Raglan was expected to be a starter when he was drafted. And then because of his injury, Zach Brown was given the chance, and he took it and ran with it. So, good for him. But... You know, the plan was for Raglan to start, and I would be shocked if they changed that going into next season, especially with the financial implications of Brown's second contract. Now, the problem I have with this is that he he's he's a three four inside linebacker. 
if a new head coach comes in and wants to move to more of a 3-4, or excuse me, a 4-3, kind of a hybrid defense sort of look, I don't know that he has... I don't know that he has a defined role in that style of defense. He's got the skills to be a good run support linebacker, and he can blitz the A-gap pretty well. You know, he's he's shown some ability to you know blitz from different spots across the defensive line. But it's he's not one of those guys who can run sideline to sideline. He's not a Zach Orr. He's not a, you know, a C.J. Mosley. You know, he's not a Alec Ogletree. He's not one of these linebackers who can get out there and fly. Are you just naming linebackers that went to Alabama? Well, they all played in the SEC, and they all just happened to be fantastic at the NFL level, Chris. So, you know. <laughs> but um, he's not one of these guys. You know, he, he is kind of a throwback-style linebacker. So who's t- he may not fit exactly the way you would want a linebacker to in a 4-3 defense like that. So it's going to be, you know, a, his speed was always a concern. You know, as far as his top end speed to be able to cover tight ends and things of that nature. And that was before he tore his ACL. So now coming off of that ACL injury, plus the fact that he's kind of not physically suited for a 4-3 defense. It's going to be interesting to see what he, you know, what a new head coach and a new D coordinator think his role is going to be on this team. Now, uh, for a dumb question, because you have no patience. <laughs> would you compare his, because here in your, in your write-up that we have. You talk about his run support, and somebody that I think that's a good at run support but not really great at at pass support is somebody like Brandon Spikes. Mm-hmm. No, and and I think I think he's a little bit better in the coverage area of things than Brandon Spikes is, but he is that thumper, that downhill. You know, I'm gonna the kind of guy who comes at the you know you would use is if I'm a D coordinator, I would be using him to attack an offensive line. Or to you know make sure that we plug up running lanes up the middle of the field. You know I'm not going to be asking him to string plays out to the sideline because I don't know that he has the athleticism to pull it off. So he, it sounds great. He's healthy. He's or at least he's getting healthy, and he should be ready for training camp. But it's going to be interesting to see what kind of a role he has to play on this team. In you know should our defensive scheme change? Well, you take a just. Off the top of my head, we're playing the NFC South. New Orleans passes, Atlanta passes, mm-hmm. Tampa Bay passes, although they do have Doug Martin. I believe we're playing the AFC West next year. San Diego's got Melvin Gordon. Mm-hmm. I I can't think of a lot of run-heavy teams that mm-hmm. we play next season. Well, so exactly, it's going to so be interesting to see how we – Utilize him. Oh, absolutely. If we go to a 4 3. Because nothing would suck more than knowing that we traded up to draft a guy who we can't utilize to the fullest of his potential because he doesn't fit. Kind of like Sammy Watkins. <laughs> but I'm going to leave. That's an argument for another day, right there. So, another bit of Buffalo Bills related news Doug Marone hired as Jaguars Same head coach. Doug. <laughs> and then Coughlin gets named VP. Okay. Start, take it from the top. Doug Marone. Former head coach of the Buffalo Bills. They give him the head coaching position after a two-game audition at the end of this season. And he's going to be their head coach going into next season. I can't help. The whole thing just puts a bad taste in my mouth, and I'll tell you why. Doug Marone picked the Jaguars. You know, when he left Buffalo, his name, you know, he, he apparently was told that his name was, he was going to be a hot commodity. 
Especially with the Jets. The Especially with the Jets. He, I mean, I think there was some sense that that job was already going, like they were going to make him an offer. Or at least maybe that's what he was told. And that's the way the media made it sound. But then... He had a bad interview. He had a bad interview. And then all of his other interviews dried up. And the next thing you know, he's an offensive line coach. But the same, this is the same guy who he and his agent put it in his contract that he had an escape clause, which I've never heard of. I've never heard of that before in pro sports. You have to think he's got one with Jacksonville when they eventually moved to London. Well, this is the beauty of what he did, and it's a very shrewd move by him. He decided that he was gonna he, he would go to the Jaguars and be their offensive line coach, with the caveat that he gets to be the assistant head coach. Usually that's just a title, right? It doesn't matter, it doesn't mean anything. You're the offensive line coach. I think he purposely picked Jacksonville with that tag of assistant head coach because he knew in the back of his head that Gus Bradley was a guy on the ropes. He had three failed seasons. Yep. And he had his fourth. So Doug Marone saw the writing on the wall and said, you know what, I'll join this guy's staff because when he gets fired, not if, but when he fails, I'm going to be there to step in and get another crack at being a head coach. And, yeah, I mean, I guess it worked. He was named the head coach. He went one and one to end the season. And now he's got the gig long term. I mean, it's I don't know what to think about that. I think he's going to do a good job because he finally is a head coach with a quarterback because Kyle Orton is trash. <laughs> and EJ Manuel, if you watch the jet game, is obviously trash. Well, and you've got a point there, though. You can't say that he didn't inherit a team that doesn't have talent. I mean, they've put so much as far as draft capital into that defense. That's a defense with talent on it. That's a, see now. Now that you got Marone locked in, who is their DC? That is the question for the Jaguars this offseason. Who is it going to be? Is he going to call Mike Patton on the phone? Because he had Patton when he was here for a year. It'll be interesting because the team clearly has talent. And then you look at the offensive side of the ball. They've got a quarterback who was successful in garbage time last year. This year, not so much. He's got explosive weapons around him between Julius Thomas, the tight end, you know, Hearns, Robinson, um, well, they had another wide receiver who kind of came on late in the year, too, who did pretty well. I don't remember. But then... Is Nate Hackett going to do anything with them, though? Well, so now you've got Nate Hackett. Well, the problem with that offense was their offensive line, and that's supposedly Doug Doug, Doug's thing. So if he can do what no one Say else could, Doug. if he if he can fix that, then who knows? Who knows what the Jaguars could be? I already put it on our Twitter account, at Rockpile Report. I said the Jags are going to win more games than the Bills. Over Marone's tenure. I hate you. And then today, the team announced that Jacksonville was hiring Tom Coughlin to be their executive VP of football operations. Now, there was a lot of rumors that Tom Coughlin was also talking to the Pagulas about a similar role here on the team. So what I, what I think is the most interesting piece about this, and the reason I bring it up, he's been given control of the roster. Tom Coughlin... Executive VP of Football Operations has complete control of the 53-man roster on a week-to-week basis. I mean, doesn't that just make their GM a, a glorified scout? Yeah, what does Dave Caldwell do? I, I don't What would you say you do here? I mean, that sounds an awful lot like a plan or a situation that we Bills fans are pretty familiar with, right? Yeah. I mean, didn't we kind of have something similar where there were there was too many people involved with a certain process, or yeah, you know, and the media made a big deal out of it, and uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was, 
It seems like Russ Brandon has got his hand too far in the football cookie jar. Well, what I can say is to see another team voluntarily structure, restructure their team to take on the one thing that Bills fans have been complaining about for the last two years. I don't know. I find that interesting. It just seems funny to me. And so on the topic of roster control, last week, because of the, the, the Doug Whaley press conference, that was the hot talk. I mean, it forced us to put off our season, re, our season recap because I just had so many different things I needed to say about that. Now, one of the biggest topics of discussion during that period was what the power structure would be going forward for the Buffalo Bills, you know, considering the fact that we're all banking on the Pagulas growing as owners of this franchise. You know, they're kind of rookies between hockey, between football. They don't know anything about owning a sports franchise. They've just showed up and expect that they're going to be able to make it work or at least learn what it takes to be a successful owner. So it seems that a piece of that puzzle starting to kind of clarify and fall, you know, clarify itself and fall into place. Despite a lot of rumors that were floating around that the Bills' next head coach would have more authority over the game day roster, Sal Capaccio of WGR 550 tweeted out that his sources within the organization tell him that Doug Whaley will maintain full and complete control over the roster, contracts, and players' decisions. He also reported that the new coach would have a full and complete control over the coaching staff, support staff, and the trainers. Oh, really? You hear that, Greg, who doesn't listen to her podcast? (laughs) The guy that I used to work with. Oh, Jesus, that guy sucks. He does suck because he thinks that Whaley hired every coach on the staff. Not true. But see, so this is it. So so this should come as good news for everyone out there last week who thought the sky was falling, running around like Chicken Little. Ah, the Bills were were a tire fire. It sounds an awful lot like we're adopting a power structure that is what almost every team in the NFL operates under, including some of the most successful franchises in the league. Let your GM be a GM. Let your coach pick whoever it is he thinks can can keep his guys healthy, can train his guys in the offseason, or can train them during the week, can work with them on the skills that they need. GM has to be able to trust the coach. The owners have to trust that the GM can make his own decisions without them. You know, I'm, I know I'm just speaking out of my ass right now, but now that I'm like thinking about it as you talk about how this whole new power structure we're going through and how the Pagool has picked Rex and Russ Brandon was involved with that. Mm-hmm. I want to say Russ Brandon probably wanted Rex because he knew he could market that for tickets. Oh, probably not so much for for a, from a football standpoint. Well, one of the other things you look at is that um, you know, in an ESPN article from last year, Mike Rodak, you know, ESPN broke down what every power structure in the NFL looked like. Mike Rodak, ESPN Boston. Mike Rodak basically explained that the way the Bills approach things like player signings, draft picks, things of that nature, it's a group decision between the owners, Russ Brandon, Doug Whaley. It cannot be like that. And from the sound of things, they're learning that and they're making the necessary changes. You know, they're talking about how Doug Whaley is going to have complete control over the roster. As he should. As he should, because that's a GM's job. And if he sucks at it, then you fire him. Just like your head coach should be able to pick every assistant and everybody else who's on the sideline with him. And if it doesn't work, they should all be shown the door together. That's the way this works. That's football. I, I mean, you look at the organizations that try to operate contrary to that. 
and give the head coach control over the you know personnel choices, you either have to have a coach like Bill Belichick, who's just an evil genius, a GM that you can't trust, like in Atlanta there. Dan Quinn has full control over Atlanta's roster. Dimitrov is basically a scout for them. That's about it. And he works on contracts. But he tries to extend the contracts that Dan Quinn tells him he wants extended. So really, he's nothing more than a, a glorified empty, scout. He's an empty suit. Or, or you end up with a disaster on your hands like the Eagles under Chip Kelly, who traded away all of their team. Macklin, currently in the playoffs, playing for a playoff contending team who just got a one seed. Jeremy Macklin. The Eagles didn't need him. The Eagles didn't need LaShawn McCoy. They traded him straight up for Kiko Alonso, who is also no longer on the roster. Nope, traded to Miami. It's it it's inconceivable to me that a GM. I mean, that's your job. And teams out there that say, "Hey, we we want somebody else to have control over this other than the GM or have any input." It's not it's not the right way to do it. Let that guy do his job. And if he sucks at it, good. Then find someone else who doesn't suck at it. But it sounds an awful lot like we're moving in that direction, which is good news, right? Yeah, because Doug Whaley's leading the coaching search. Oh, finally. And, well, and exactly. I mean, it's not certain who our next coach is going to be. But initial reports sound like our pecking order organizationally might not be the mess that people were trying to paint it as not even a week ago. So, coaches, Chris, that brings us to uh, the coaching search portion of this podcast. So, we don't have a coach right now, and we're coming up to the part of the, the part of the season where you really have to start. I mean, obviously, draft prep happens year round. The combine's coming up. You know, here in what a month, two months, two. I think March. March. I think it's March in Indianapolis. Okay, so you have to start preparing for this stuff now. Organizationally, you have to start getting all of your ducks in a row so that you know who you're scouting, who you're taking interviews with, who you're targeting in what rounds, what guys you think you might like, depending on what your vision for your 2017 football team is going to be. Yeah, and You can't do that without knowing who your coach is going to be. Yep, and you only get so many uh, visits for the draft. Yep. Right, you get like twenty. Mm-hmm. So this is something that they have to. I mean, they're going to have to start. I mean, they're going to have to find a way to hammer this down here pretty quickly, because without it, you start you start cutting into the time that you should be spending. You know, as a coach, preparing for the draft and for all these other things. So we're going to take a walk through some of the candidates whose names have come up and being associated with the Bills and things of that nature. And it all starts with Anthony Lynn. You heard it in our intro. He's he, he was deemed kind of the front runner. Here. How is somebody on the Bills staff so highly regarded across the league? I've heard him linked to San Diego, L.A., Denver, basically almost all of the coaching jobs. Well, I guess he had a good reputation before that. And he had been talked about in, you know, as coming up for an interview, but never actually received them. So, you know, you look at Anthony Lynn, the pros and cons. Anthony Lynn. First off, pros, he's familiar with the staff, and he has the open support of a lot of the players. And Chris, you you and I have read it over and over again. Different players coming out and saying that they'd be in support of Anthony Lynn being the coach of this football team. His rushing attack wouldn't change much. He works, I mean, he made what Greg Roman had already installed work for the most part 
maybe added in a few wrinkles here and there, a rushing attack wouldn't change all that much. Considering that that's one of the few things on this team that isn't broke, it would be a bad idea to tinker with it. He's already got a seemingly qualified defensive coordinator candidate in Gus Bradley. I mean, those were, but now because this process is starting to play out, Gus Bradley's starting to take other interviews for things. Yeah, he's going to Washington. Washington got an interview with Washington, and I know that he was he was linked or rumored to, to I think one other football team. I don't remember. I know Cleveland's already wrapped up Greg Williams, former Bills head coach, as their <laughs> defensive coordinator. But Gus Bradley, that for me, that's a great choice for uh, defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. I would also throw out Mike Patton. To yeah. come back because you know he's not getting a head coaching job, so he if he's going to take a job, it's well, that depends be, on whether or not Anthony Lynn likes him. Though it's got to be a de- he's got to take a defensive coordinator job. Mm-hmm. So if again, like what you just said, if Lynn likes him, take a look at Mike Pettin because his defense obviously worked here, and we got a lot of the main pieces still here. Well, and then you look at the cons. He's green. There's no other way to say it. He was only an offensive coordinator for 14 weeks, and he was a running backs coach before that. So he's been a positional coach, and he spent most of one season being an actual coordinator. So I don't know how qualified that leaves him to be a head coach at the NFL level. You know, you see a lot of the guys who were former coordinators who go on to become head coaches. You're, you're John Harbaugh. Um, who else? I'm trying to think. Sean Payton. Sean Payton. You see these guys who were units coaches who did, did their job for years and then eventually got that crack at being a being a head coach, I just don't know that Anthony Lynn's had enough experience to warrant wearing the the hat of a head coach. And then he was a good offensive coordinator for us, but little is known about his management abilities, you know, his in-game management abilities. He got that one game at the end of the season, which the one game that didn't give that didn't mean shit. No. And you could tell it was a throwaway game and the players treated it like that. If you consider the communication issues that we've had for the last two years, our next coach absolutely has to be better with game management and communication. I don't know that enough can be known about how he would handle that position in order to say that he would be good at either one of those things. Ultimately, what I think for Anthony Lynn, ultimately what I think it is is that you've got a guy who your players are saying, hey, we, we don't mind this guy. We would like to see him be our head coach. You've got, you know, there's different stories being thrown around about how he's detail oriented, that he's, you know, that he he commands respect from the players, that he handles business in house a little bit differently than Rex did, which, you know, he preaches accountability. It's, he's a lot of the things that it sounds like we need. I'm just curious, you know, I, I just say if he's that perfect of a fit, then why haven't the Bills pulled the trigger yet? Then we move on to Sean McDermott. He's another one of the big names that have come out in connection with this job. First off, the pros for Sean McDermott, former safety coach and D coordinator for the Eagles and Panthers. And he's got experience when working with defense. Now, considering that's the, the unit on our team that struggled the most, it would make sense that you'd want to bring in a coach who thinks he can fix that. You know, if you believe that you have talent on that defense enough to win and the head, the other head coach didn't get it done, which is why he was fired. You'd want to bring in someone who might be able to turn that defense around. How about this? Of the defensive positions on our defense, safety is probably where we're the worst at. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I would be shocked if we didn't take a safety in the first uh, two rounds. 
in this next draft. But um, I mean, it's, you talk about his job as a safety coach. While he was coaching safeties, he oversaw the careers of multiple players who reached the Pro Bowl. I mean, Brian Dawkins played under him. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. Um, there was a couple for Carolina. I know Roman Harper had a career year in playing under under him just last season. I couldn't tell you anybody on Carolina's defense outside of Josh Norman for that one year and then Luke Keekley. Yeah, no, he's Sean McDermott. He, I mean, he's his track record. I mean, he's got a very aggressive mindset on defense. And he was, according to Pro Football, uh, Pro Football Talk, NBC Pro Football Talk, last year they had him as runner-up for Defensive Coordinator of the Year for the job that he did in getting the Carolina Panthers to the Super Bowl. Now, I'm surprised you don't have it listed here as, I don't know for you if it's a pro or a con, but he's already kind of rumored to be linked with Mike McCoy for Offensive Coordinator. Well, and that's one of the things that you got to think about. You know, kind of like Anthony Lynn did the smart thing. He went out and kind of aligned himself with a with a seasoned coordinator who knows a lot about the side of the ball that they probably don't know anything about. In this sense, he's Sean McDermott's kind of trying to do the same thing, except I don't like Mike McCoy. I don't like Mike McCoy. And I don't think that McCoy's offenses haven't been great out there in San Diego. San Diego. What about with Denver? Peyton Manning? Right. Yeah, you had Peyton Manning. So I don't know what that – I mean, Peyton Manning is basically an offensive coordinator on the field. You know, you could you could have put Curtis Modkins in the box as the <laughs> offensive coordinator of the <laughs> of the Denver Broncos that year, and I'm pretty sure they still win a Super Bowl. So Cons, he's coming in with no head coaching experience. Again, experience is a big thing for me. I just look at it and I say, okay, here's a guy who doesn't really know. You know, he just doesn't really he, – he's never had to be – responsible for more than one side of the ball or one position group or one group of players. He Now you're responsible for everything, for game day communication, for what's going on in the field, for the altering of game plans. You have to be prepared for that. And I don't know that he has that ability. I, his most recent defense was pretty mediocre. I mean, he lost Josh Norman. That was it. J- Josh Norman and Roman Harper left. And that defense went to shit this season. It was awful. And then he runs a 4-3 scheme that might not really, a straightforward 4-3. You know, almost, I don't want to say the wide nine, but a very straightforward natural 4-3 that might not mesh with our current roster. You know, that's the one thing about Anthony Lynn that I liked is that if you sign Anthony Lynn as your head coach, what you're saying is, hey, we're not doing a complete rebuild. We're not totally blowing this thing up. We're going to tweak what's already in place. Here's a guy who's worked with these players. He's got an idea of what their capabilities are. He's, he would be bringing in a defensive coordinator who can run that 4-3 over hybrid kind of a defense that most of our personnel fit. You know, it works like that. Can I ask you a dumb question? Sure. Dumb question. Because two weeks ago you said my 4-3-3-4 questions were stupid. Not only did I say they were stupid, I walked away from the table. How long... <laughs> How long? Okay, that's kind of prick. I okay, assume we hire McDermott. He runs a straight four and four three. Mm-hmm. You just said we've got three four players. Between draft and free agency, how many seasons does it take to kind of change that? Well, you with gotta, the draft. Well, and let's free look agency. at the team as a whole. Let's look at the team as a whole. On the defensive line, you've got 
Marcel Darius, who I believe is at his best when he's allowed to be a penetrating, attacking, 4-3 defensive tackle. I think that he has the size and the abilities to play nose tackle. But you're you're kind of you're almost taking away from him at that point. He's got explosive abilities that you're not you can't get out of him when he's playing that zero technique nose tackle. You just you just won't get it on a consistent basis. Him lined up against I mean that's what made the 4-3 over parts of things or when Jim Schwartz was here. The 4-3 defense we were running was so good because we had two defensive ends who could win one-on-one against a tackle. That left three interior defensive linemen to handle two defensive tackles in Darius and Kyle Williams, who both of them can beat double teams if you make them. So if we, okay, so, because I don't know football that well, you do. So if we went back to kind of a scheme that Schwartz ran, we would get a lot more production out of, say, Jerry Hughes and Shaq Lawson. Well, I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know if Shaq Lawson really projects as if, I mean, I think he could play the position. I don't know how good he would be as a 4-3 defensive end. I also don't know, you know, with Kyle Williams, his future's kind of up in the air. I don't know what we would look like if it was just Marcel Darius and somebody else. Adolphus Washington. You know, probably Adolphus or Jarrell Worthy or any one of those guys. I don't know. But what I do know is that if you went to a natural 4-3 defense, we don't have the linebackers for it. That's the first thing that jumps out to me is that we don't have the linebacking core that can go sideline to sideline and can cover in space and do all those things. Like you look at the Eagles, there's a reason that they took Nigel Bradham from us. They were happy to pick him up. Why? Because he's a he's got some range as an athlete. You know, he's got some speed to him. So they needed that for their 4-3 defense. And we didn't need it in a 3-4. So that kind of a switch could you know, now you're talking about you're you're almost creating more roster holes for yourself that you have to find a way to fill. And that's what concerns me about Sean McDermott. The next guy who was interviewed with the Bills, Harold Goodwin. Who? Yeah, exactly. Who? I don't know you. I did my research. And who the hell is that? Apparently, he spent four years as an offensive coordinator. Four years with the Arizona Cardinals as an offensive coordinator. He operates a vertical passing game. That could lend itself to our existing personnel. I mean, that falls under the pro column for me. You know, if, if you're telling me on offense, you can run a scheme similar to what we already have in place. Obviously, the run blocking would be a lot different, but the passing concepts would stay the same. And that means that guys like Colby Listenby, who we just drafted. Hasn't played yet. Hasn't played yet. Sammy Watkins. You know, maybe some other of these speed receivers. Um, you know, whoever else we're going to bring in to flush out our wide receiver core. Those concepts wouldn't change all that much from what we already run. Because that that was kind of what we were doing already. Now you just mentioned that. In my mind, we didn't have Listenby last year. I believe his rookie year, John Brown, kind of stepped to the plate in the Cardinals passing game. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm, in my head right now, I'm thinking maybe that could be Listenby. No, and you're not wrong. That's something that could happen. But I think it lends itself more to the personnel that we already have on hand. The vertical passing game creates a lot of space underneath. You know, you could do a lot of things with running backs out in the flat or running backs over the middle and things like that, which obviously we have a very capable pass-catching running back in LaShawn McCoy. And then his offense is finished in the top 10 for scoring in the last two the last two years. He's finished top 10 in scoring, which is impressive. You know, if you, it's hard to find continuity like that in the NFL. 
outside of having a Hall of Fame quarterback. Like, if you're the Patriots, you know you're going to be in the tops of the league and scoring every single year. You know, the Falcons, the Falcons have kind of been back and forth over the last few years. This year, they're up. And I, I honestly say that that's 100% on Kyle Shanahan. Oh, absolutely. But the fact remains is that they're up now. But it's hard. I feel like it's much harder to maintain that type of production than it is to, I don't know. I feel like defenses, once you have a set grouping of personnel, it's easier to stay in the top 10 for defense two years in a row than it is to stay for offense. That's just my that's just my opinion. For cons, though, you look at Harold Goodwin and you say, okay, that's great that your offense is finished in the top ten for scoring, but Bruce Bruce Arians calls all of the plays. So again, are you Curtis Modkins? Because that's what it sounds like. You know, Chan Gailey called all the offensive plays from the sideline. Curtis Modkins was just kind of there to be his, I don't know what you want to call it, like his sounding board to bounce ideas off of. So it sounds an awful lot like that's what Harold Goodwin was for the Arizona Cardinals. In which case, I I don't know that we can tell what he's capable of on his own as a coach. You know, it's it's that's that, that is my knock against Harold Goodwin for the limited amount of information that I have. And then the other guy who's had an interview with the Bills already, Chris Richard. And yes, it's Richard, not Richard. Okay, he looks like a big angry man, and if you call him Richard, he might bite your nose off. Hey, who the hell is Chris Richard? <laughs> One of the pros for Chris Richard, his units have performed well. The last two seasons, you know, he, he's been the D coordinator since 2015 for, for the Seattle Seahawks. They finished second and fifth in total defense. And they were first and third in 15 and 16, respectively, in points allowed. Can we really put that on coaching? Or is it the amount of talent that well, the Seattle D has? And so that becomes one of the questions. I mean, he's got experience with that 3-4 kind of hybrid scheme. So that means, again, our current players may translate over to his style of defense if he was chosen to be our head coach. But one of the cons is that the last two defensive coordinators for the Seattle Seahawks have also gone on to be head coaches. And it, you get mixed results. Gus Bradley just got fired. Failure. <laughs> Gus Bradley just got fired after not being even all the talent in the world on defense out there couldn't save his job. He just couldn't find a way to make it work. And Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn, on the other hand. Succeeding because he's got an OC. Succeeding because he pegged a great OC. He's He himself knows defense well enough, and I'm sure he's got a decent defensive coordinator down there. I don't know who it is. but Who's that dude for the, the on the Falcons that their defense that kicked ass this year? Their defense didn't really kick ass. Their well, no, no, no. I'm, 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 I'm saying specific player. Oh, are you uh, talking about Vic Beasley? Yes. Yeah, they drafted him in the first round when because Dan Quinn was like, I want that guy. And since he has control of the roster, they do what he wants, which is why it's not shocking that the last few drafts you've seen their first round draft picks. They took a D end. This year they took a safety. I wouldn't be shocked if they take a cornerback. If they take a I think that you're going to see that trend because if Kyle Shanahan sticks around and doesn't get another job this offseason, and he goes into next season. I think what you're going to see is they're going to try to take this offense that Kyle Shanahan has installed there, which is clearly explosive. And they're just going to try to build that defense up into a world beater because that's what Dan Quinn knows. That's where what he comes from. So you've got one guy who's succeeding. You've got one guy who just got fired. How much of the success that you've seen out of the Seattle Seahawks that keeps getting these defensive coordinators hired, 
How much of it can you attribute to that coach being good at his job? And how much of it can do you have to attribute to the fact that they've got a very talented defense? And what makes Richard end up like Gus Bradley? What would be his downfall? His downfall would probably be going to a team that doesn't already have an established quarterback that you know you need to fix the defense, but there's also work to be done on offense. And if you don't know enough about it and you peg the wrong guy to be your offensive coordinator, you'll fail. I mean, point blank and period, you'll fail. That's why I think it's interesting to note that the two guys who are seem to be the front runners for this Buffalo job both have found somebody. You know, even though the, I don't like Mike McCoy, but they've went out and got another guy with a ton of experience to say, hey, I know I've never been a head coach before, but I know this side of the football, but I need you to come in and know the other half because I don't know it. And it's also keen to point out for the, because right now the top front runners for our job is Lynn and McDermott. And Lynn's got Gus Bradley, former head coach. Mm-hmm. And then they have uh, McDermott, who also has pegged McCoy as his probable OC, also former head coaching experience. Yep. So you get that help as well. And then you've got some other names floating around out there. You know, guys who are out there kind of taking interviews, but none of them have been directly linked to the Bills. Whaley said he wanted to get five or six guys in here, and so far there's only been four. Which may, And the fact that they haven't all made a decision after interviewing these four make me think that either they already kind of knew that it was going to be Lynn's job or that they're, they're still waiting on a couple of these other guys who are just now becoming, you know, becoming available. I mean, first off, Vance Joseph wasn't available to talk to anybody before. You know, the Dolphins obviously got their heads caved in against the Steelers on, uh, on Sunday. He was listed as the front runner for the Broncos job, but apparently spent all day meeting with them and then left town without a contract. So he's got more interviews to schedule. I mean, Vance Joseph's a guy. He's, again, another one of those My thing limited, been- limited experience as a defensive coordinator, limited experience as a, as a, you know, a coach of authority. I don't know why some of these guys are being propped up as head coach material. I don't, I don't think Vance Joseph would be good for the Broncos. Yes, they have a great defense. Yes, he knows defense. But you have Paxton Lynch, who is a first-round pick. You struggled on offense this year because you did have Trevor Simeon starting. So I would go with somebody like maybe a Frank Reich or a Josh McDaniels mm-hmm. of offensive caliber that can help Paxton Lynch succeed. Mm-hmm. No, you're, that's, that's a great point. Then you got Frank Reich. It's not confirmed that he'll be receiving an interview from anybody. But his name is always floated around this time of year as somebody who, you know, could get looks as a head coach. Then there's Josh McDaniels. Everything that's come out says he has the inside track on the 49ers job. Fuck that guy. I don't know why he would want it, but good luck to him out there. Terrell Austin, now available because his team got bounced like a Super Bowl out of the playoffs. He's met with the Chargers already. You know, it seems like the Chargers have interviewed everybody. I mean, if you think about it, the next guy on this list, Matt Patricia, already interviewed with the Chargers, but that's the only interview he's been offered. Now, he's the defensive coordinator out of New England. Yeah, he can sit on that fucking pencil of his. <laughs> oh, my God. Chris hates that guy. But one of the things I think is interesting, the Chargers have interviewed pretty much everybody. I mean, I feel like at this point, Lynn, they've already done like if you six heard, or seven interviews. As you heard in the intro, mm-hmm. Lynn is the only offensive guy that the San Diego has spoken to. 
Yeah. And then it's he's back for a second interview today, so it'll be interesting to see what happens on that front. You know, maybe they just haven't found what they liked, and maybe they think he may fit, you know, Anthony Lynn might fit that bill, which, and if that's the case, then the Bills need to get on the ball here. And there's some notable snubs, as there always is. First and foremost, the one name I've seen thrown around the most, and I've seen on Twitter, heard about it in different forums. Yeah, Bills fanatics would hate this Hate this one. That Jim Schwartz. No lucks for Schwartz. Jim Schwartz's name has not come up at all. Is being interviewed, being, you know, hey, I'm linked to getting a job over here with this guy. Nothing. It's all quiet on the Jim Schwartz front. And I don't understand why. He's, he's clearly not a bad defensive coordinator. I think Philadelphia played really well on defense towards the end of the season, probably because they finally got used to his system and how, well, they, how things go. They were playing good at the beginning of the season, too. I mean, you figure they were they were 3-0 and at one point. Yeah, that's all about Wensylvania. <laughs> Wensylvania, Jesus Christ. But so, Jim Schwartz, guy, I don't know why I'm not hearing more about his name. Same thing with Jim Bob Cooter. I love Cooters. Outside of his name being hilarious and just one of those things that, like, I expect to see that on an episode of Squidbillies, not of, on of, an NFL sideline. Of, of your snubs, I think JBC is, like, is a total surprise to me. I know. The work that he did with Stafford without Calvin Johnson. And then, they, and then the thing is they talk about – they talk about him all the time as being, you know, well respected. In the yeah, how is community. Terrell Austin, his yeah. the DC for the Lions, getting? How is the defensive looks? coordinator getting looks, and yet the offensive coordinator who's finding ways to win with this terrible offensive line, he doesn't get any love. No, JB, I don't understand it. JBC is well deserving of some head coaching interviews. And the last one I don't get is Daryl Bevel. I get it. When has he ever gotten? Daryl Bevel Head coaching looks Daryl Bevel. I don't understand why, because you look at what he is. What's the one thing most teams are trying to do? If you're if you're hiring a new coach, it's because your last coach sucked. Why did your last coach suck? Probably because his quarterback wasn't very good. Daryl Bevel has been credited with basically guiding the career of Russell Wilson. You know, he kind of coached him, you know, from his rookie season on to make him a viable and successful starter at the NFL level. So what franchise doesn't need a guy like that, especially a franchise like, I don't know, the Browns, the Bills. Um, I can name five or six other teams that are looking for head coaches who are going to have a young quarterback. Why wouldn't you want a guy like that there? Denver's to got a young tutor? quarterback. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want a young quarterback to learn under a guy who clearly has the ability to i don't know what he says he's, he's the quarterback whisperer <laughs> i don't know but why wouldn't you want a guy like that on your staff uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me but at some point guys we're going to wrap up this coaching search um hopefully sooner rather than later so we can start prepping for the draft and guys I mean, that's the most important thing here right exactly and guys download this episode save it and listen to it again in three years when we're getting <laughs> when we're getting a new head coach. So, Chris, if you had to pick one, who's your pick for head coach of the Buffalo Bills? Of the ones that have interviewed, yep. You know, it's to me like to me, I'm so numb to the situation. Like, because I put it out on, on my on my Facebook, you saw it. Oh, Doug Marone hired. He'll be fired in three years. Mm-hmm. I was a year off. <laughs> That's like what we seem to do, and it's like I don't know if 
I can't get excited for a head coach because we don't ever get the continuity of a head coach. I mean, Rex bitched about it in his opening press conference. Basically, and we said, you know, probably our first episode. I'm pretty sure you had said he kind of took a shot at Doug Marone, who just quit. Mm-hmm. Doug Marone is here longer than Rex Ryan <laughs> by a game, but I'm, I'm just numb to it. I'll take McDermott. I'll take Lynn. It it really doesn't matter to me. My two cents, Anthony Lynn. I'll tell you why. I touched on it before, and I'll say it again. Hiring a guy like Sean McDermott basically tells everyone associated with the process, everyone on your roster, everyone on your staff, we are rebuilding. We are going to wholesale rebuild this team. You send that message, and you're going to lose. You're going to lose a lot of the locker room. You're going to have guys like Kyle Williams who are kind of on the bubble as far as whether or not they want to keep playing. That guy's going to walk away before he decides to come back and try to play through another year of this mess where he doesn't. Now he's trying to learn new positions. He's trying to learn new things. He's got probably got a vastly different scheme than what he's been working with for the last few years. He's probably going to have different teammates. You know, they're going to have to drastically shift the roster. I just don't think wholesale change is good. And I think that Anthony Lynn getting brought in still gives you some semblance of continuity. I think what you'd be looking for in that aspect is here's a guy who is a, is a totally different personality than Rex Ryan. He still obviously can run the same offense we've been running. And I would say the offense improved from last year to this year. But he can maybe tighten up some of the things we've been lacking in. You know, maybe this team doesn't need a you know a wholesale rebuild. Maybe it just needs tweaks. I think that's why you go and you hire a coach like Anthony Lynn. It's stressful talking about this stuff and just thinking about it all the time, having it be in, just in, stuck in the back of your head. So what we're going to do is we're going to break away from the coaching talk now, and we're going to get into our 2016 Buffalo Bills recap. Let's talk about the season that we just finished. Now that we've had a week to kind of take it, take it all in, you know, take it all in. We finished the season at 7-9. and nine. We finished third place in the AFC East, and we finished with the top 10 pick in the NFL draft. So finishing third, you can expect next year we've got Indianapolis here, and I think we go to Cincinnati. I believe so, yes. Is how it rolls out, because they also finished third in their division. So as a football team, you, know, you want to talk about who we are, what we accomplished, and where we stand now going forward. We finished 10th in scoring in the NFL points per game. I think that in and of itself is impressive because I don't know when the last time. For as long as I can remember, the problem has always been that every Bills game was a field goal festival. 6-3 to three. Lost to the Browns. I mean, there was games, so many of them. That game against the the game, I'm sure many of you remember it. It was Kyle Orton's, what, first game? Was that his first game against the Detroit Lions? Correct. Where we kicked how many field goals? Five? Five. Five, five or six, and we won. Five field goals to win the game. Like that, It makes me want to claw my eyes out. So to see that our team found a way to get the ball in the end zone in a, on a consistent basis and had some really high-scoring football games, that's awesome to me. 
And then, even though our defense was a sieve, and that's the reason that we couldn't win a lot of games, we still finished 16th in the, in the league in points per game against. You know, we allowed 23, 23.6. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I, I am okay with that. And we also finished 16th for overall yardage. So you look at it, and we did some good things on offense. We moved the ball around well. We scored points, and we were third in the league in turnovers. We only had 12. That means 20, well, what do you want to say, three? So 29 other football teams turned the ball over more times than we did. Now, some of that can be a byproduct of Tyrod Taylor's aversion of the high-risk areas of the field. But there's a reason that those are, those are the high-risk, high-reward areas. You saw that anyone who was watching Sunday Night Football when the Giants played the Cowboys and that Odell Beckham slant pass that he took to the house. I don't I don't think I remember that. That was the game that I lost the $100 bet to read. Ah, that's what I remember from it. <laughs> you jackass. But so by avoiding those areas of the field, we you know, we get these excellent turnover numbers. But we you those are the high reward areas too. You know, that's where you get the slant pass where the safety doesn't take the right angle and your wide receiver can run away for 40 yards for a touchdown. Yeah. We don't well, get that. When have we run that? Because, I know Sammy's Because Tyrod doesn't throw it unless he knows the guy's open. So slant passes don't work in our arsenal. They just don't. I mean, at the end of all things, we finished out pretty well in the NFL on offense. For as much as I, I'll say it, I bagged all over Tyrod Taylor, and then in that last game, he stepped up his play. He did against the Dolphins. He really stepped it up and showed who what he has the potential to be here in Buffalo. I mean, we were low, on the low end for passing touchdowns. We, he only threw seventeen touchdown passes, but he also had seven. He also only had seven interceptions. So that's the byproduct of who we are on offense. R- rushing yards per attempt, we were five point three yards. That's unbelievable. That's that's incredible. I mean, we, again, we were the league's number one rushing offense. That's something for us as Bills fans to hang our hats on. Because for years, we've just been woefully inept on the offensive side of the ball. So to see a system come in and give us some pop, some life on that side of the ball, it, it's, 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 it's something. I'd like to see what our numbers were after first contact on runs. I mean, it's crazy. And people like to bitch and complain about, oh, the same old Bills. This isn't the same old Bills team. Because I, the same old Bills, when you say that yeah, phrase... Say, the same old Bills sucked on, on offense. Now we suck on defense. And we're still 8-8, <laughs> eight 9-7, and 7-9. Eight, and seven, seven and nine. When I think of the same old Bills, I think of the Dick Duran era where football was painful to watch because there was just nothing exciting going on. We just didn't have that ability. Now we're scoring points. We just can't stop them. And that brings me to the defensive side of the ball. And our numbers aren't so good here. <laughs> I mean, they're just not. I mean, we we only took the ball away twelve times. Okay, it's not it's not great. You, know, you think about you know, team interceptions. We have twelve of them. That leaves us ranked. I want to say do 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 going to sportingcharts.com. That's twentieth in the NFL. It's just not it's it's not great. It's not, and I think that speaks to the kind of year that our defensive backs had. Teams didn't throw the ball against us a lot because they could run the ball at will. We were giving up 4.6 yards per carry on defense. You're not going to win a lot of football games when you let other teams run the ball down your throat. 
And I think that was one of the things that got Rex fired is that they took something that they knew needed to get fixed and it got worse instead of getting any better in the next season. I mean, we allowed 19 receiving touchdowns. That's pretty good. But we gave up 21 rushing touchdowns. People just stopped trying at that point. They stopped trying to throw the ball and just ran it on us. I don't know. I just, I take a look back at the 2016 season. And what I saw was that we didn't improve from 2015 in the areas that we needed to. And in fact, some of those things, we regressed even farther than we already had. That is the reason that we're talking about a head coaching search. Rex Ryan proved he couldn't get those critical issues addressed. I mean, you can't. He's got too many wrinkles to his defense. If you're, I don't care about that. If your boss comes to you and says, Chris, I want you to machine me this piece and don't screw it up like you screwed it up last time. And you screw it up, and you screw it up again. Does he not reserve the right to fire you? He does, but I would also blame someone else. <laughs> I would also blame someone else. Oh, Chris, I love you. So that's who the 2016 Buffalo Bills were. I mean, we were some flash and some razzle-dazzle on offense. We were also maddeningly inconsistent. And we just had a defense that could not find itself. And so now we're here talking about coaching searches and all this other nonsense. But we're going to close kind of on a high note here. We're going to give out our 2016 season superlative awards. Okay. And it starts with interception of the year. Chris, I think we both agreed. Roby against Case Keenum and the Rams. Keenum has it eight in a row. Evanstein, the block at the right tackle. Oh, it's picked off on the play by Roby Coleman. And there he goes. A block into the house. Oh, and that was Kevin Ireland from CBS Sports. For those of you who remember... I was drunk in my basement. At that point, I had started drinking rum out of the handle, not even out of a glass, just because I was so frustrated with the way that game was going. And Chris somehow managed to just capture me exploding on Instagram during on that, that play. play. It got about 15,000 views <laughs> on the Bills Fanatics Cause apparently, Instagram. Because apparently everyone likes to, make, likes to watch me look like an asshole. It's great. Bonehead play of the year. That award, you know it has to, goes to the Jets for the kickoff that somehow became a touchdown. Easy to say after the fact that Carr either shouldn't have been in there or should have just been handing the ball off. That's hindsight. Unfortunately for the Raiders, it'll be Matt McGloin as their quarterback. That one bounces. No one on the Bills goes to get it. Now Gillisley tracks it down in the end zone. You can't let it That's go. a touchdown. Yeah. What are the Bills doing? <laughs> that sums up our season. What are the Bills doing? <laughs> That's Andrew Catalan from CBS Sports. Oh, what a play. I remember watching it, and I almost spit my champagne out just all over the place laughing because at that point, I'm like, I've never seen something that absurd. How did he not know he needed to touch the football? Gillies, you got to get that. I mean, have you never heard of an onside kick? Like, do you not know that it's a live ball? <laughs> Woo! But it's okay because our special teams did step it up in our next uh, our next award. Special teams play of the year from 2016. Aaron Williams returning a blocked kick attempt by the Arizona Cardinals for a touchdown. A 31-yard attempt. High step. Cottonsville chasing after the ball. It's still loose. 
That's Dick Stockton from Fox Sports. Doesn't that just warm your heart up? I remember being there at the game. And I remember just being there and seeing the snap because the kick was coming towards me. You know, I was on the scoreboard side of the field. The kick was supposed to be in my direction. And I don't know if it was the booze or what else, you know, kind of fading off. But I'm just I just remember watching the play. And then I just saw a big scramble of people. And I was like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) And then I saw Aaron Williams with his hand in the air, just streaking away from everybody down the field. And I grabbed some guy next to me who I don't know. And I hugged him and we jumped around and I high fived and I think I knocked his kid over giving him a high five. Like it was it was just one of those moments like being there in the stadium for that was probably one of the highlights of my entire season, guys. And that's and that's moments like that that you go for kind of like the 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 next play pass of the 2016 season, the best pass of the year. You're talking about just a moment, a moment where you're in the stadium, you're watching a football game and something that just gets you off your feet. And it's Marquise Goodwin's huge touchdown to open up the home opener. And they protect Tyrod Taylor. Third and 12 and Taylor's first pass. Way down the field. And it is caught in stride by Goodwin for the touchdown. 84 yards and he beat Darrell Rivas. That was Jim Nance from CBS Sports with the call. Guys, that place came unglued. And even though the game didn't go our way after that, the, I the stadium was rocking. Everyone was in, you know, just high spirits. It, it was Plus just based a, on our play call to start the game. Mm-hmm. And that was as you heard in the play call, third and twelve. Mm-hmm. And then Goodwin just Olympia sped past <laughs> that old man Darrell Revis. It was just one of those plays that you see and you're there at the stadium for. I mean, that's why I have season tickets, because you watch a play like that at home. It's fun. It's entertaining. If you're there when it happens, you feel like you could run through a brick wall. You know, you, <laughs> Chris, Chris, how did I fall down the stairs? Because I fell down the stairs at that game. That New York Jets game. I believe you fell down the stairs multiple times. Multiple times. Celebrate. I was having too much fun. I was like, I was like. <laughs> I was like Rick James. Yeah. I was just having too much fun. Drew had so much fun. It's September. There's <laughs> hope in the air. Oh, I'm telling you. That's why I buy. That's why I, I will never give up my season tickets. For as many bitter things as I may say when I'm drunk, I'll never get rid of them because of moments like that right there. The run of the season. That award goes to LaShawn McCoy against the Jacksonville Jaguars. London, the Jaguars have had a halftime lead. McCoy. Chased by Cyprian. McCoy will go the distance. 75 yards. And that was Andrew Catalan with the call again from CBS Sports. Longest run of his career. I'm telling you, I, I've, I've been thinking about it. It was games like it's games like that. I sit there and I think to myself, you know, I, I wasn't old enough to attend games when the Bills were in the 90s, when they were. You know, Thurman Thomas was obviously Thurman Thomas will probably be between OJ and Thurman. Those will be the two best running backs. And I'd say you could argue over who was better. I mean, OJ Simpson was an elite talent at running back. He really was. So was Thurman. All purpose yards. Yep. All purpose yards. Plus, he he never killed anyone. (laughs) 
that you know of. No. So I mean, he does so, live out in Colden. So so, but I'm be, I firmly believe after finishing this season and looking back and reflecting on it, I think that Lashawn McCoy might be the best Bills running back I've ever gotten to watch with my own two eyes. I, just hands down, bar none. He might be the best running back I've seen in a Bills uniform. Actually gotten to watch them play with my own two eyes. It's incredible. And then best tackle of the season. That award goes to Zach Brown for his hit on Jacoby Brissett in, the, in our shutout against the New England Patriots. Brissett has not looked Gronkowski's way. Play fit. Brissett. Pump and run. Brissett fumbles the football and it's recovered by Buffalo. The rookie trying to make something happen, and Zach Brown with the stick. That was Ian Eagle from CBS Sports. If you'll recall, the moment in that game when that play occurs, we have, we're pitching the shutout. You hear the crowd roar because he's breaking into the open field. They, he's going to put them in field goal range at least. And in a 16-point football game, a couple field goals, and then a, you, know, you score that late touchdown, it changes the whole complexion of the football game. Zach Brown hit Jacoby Brissett like a freight train. He got railroaded. And then in his post game, they asked Zach Brown about the hit. And, you know, I, I used to think that we had the audio here somewhere. I think we played it on a previous podcast. But they asked him what he was thinking on that run. And his response was, he goes, oh, the rook th- rookie thought he was going to come up the middle and just, just, just take that yardage. I had to show him. I had to show him. I had to show him why you can't do that. Stay in the pocket. It was it was one of the best hits that I think I saw all season. So, Chris, for the rest of these awards, we're going to go back and forth. We're going to talk a little bit about this. Most improved player from the 2016 season. Who do you think got better as the season went on from the beginning to the end? Jesus. <clears throat> oh, my God. Um, I don't... I honestly... I have no idea. I'm not going to say Tyrod because I hate him. Um, I don't know. I To me, it kind of seemed like Cyrus Quanjo kind of did a okay job in backup work. Considering that Cyrus Quanjo was once referred to as Venus de Milo, the statue with no arms, for those of you out there who don't know art. The fact that he was able to come in and successfully back up um, Cordy Glenn on multiple occasions, that's worth noting. I mean, that's a guy that you took with your with, with a second-round pick in the NFL draft. You took him in the second round expecting him to grow into a useful football player for your team. He's got no knees. And up to this point, he hasn't given you any return on that investment. So to see him step up that way in this season, Chris, you hit the nail on the head. I'm going to go ahead and give it to Cyrus Quanjo as well because – a, I'm an Alabama homer. Screw all of you Clemson fans out there listening right now. You can all eat me. Um, I just think that for what we spent on him, we finally saw some return on that, and that's good to see. You know what I mean? You never want to see a second-round pick go to waste, right? Never. Biggest regression. Who regressed from last year to the to this year? Ronnie Darby. Ron Darby. Oh, that's a that's a hell of a pick there, Chris. 
Ron Darby was pegged as, I mean, people were upset that he didn't win Rookie Defensive Player of the Year last year. Well, you can hear it in, or go back, if you have that kind of, look, if you have no friends and you want to go back to previous episodes of this podcast, (laughs) we played actual audio of him being interviewed in the preseason saying that he wanted to work on his, like, coverage skills. Because, right, he's more of a man cover guy. He's more of a man coverage player. And I think he took that focus into the regular season, and that's why it looked like he regressed. I don't know. I mean, I didn't watch. You watched the Mm All-22. Was he playing more off coverage than he did last year? I think not only was he playing more off coverage, but I think that he gave up a lot. His off coverage was so soft. I think that was my biggest problem with Ron Darby's season in 2016. I think that he, when he was asked to play off coverage, he was so soft on his off coverage that it gave up a he gave up a ton of yardage underneath him. I mean, he it was rare that he was in position to make the plays when he needed to make them, and I think it showed in the numbers that quarterbacks were able to put up on him. You know, and it wasn't a week over week thing. It wasn't like it was all season. But when he decided to not, when he wasn't asked to play press coverage, his off coverage was shoddy. At best, and it it got us in a lot of trouble. It really did. I mean, I think I almost think offensive coordinators saw that, and so as the season wore on, people started picking on him more. You know, that's what you do if you're a good football team. You attack the other team's weakness, and Ron Darby actually, for a stretch there, became a weakness for us. So I say that my the biggest regression, the one I'll give, is Demarcel Darius. And that's not because I thought he was a world beater last year, but I think that Marcel Darius has elite talent when he's put in a position to win and when he's motivated. This season, he looked like he looked. And I, I have his jersey. I, I love the guy. I've, I've defended him personally. I've defended him professionally. He just, some games just look like a guy who wanted to be somewhere else. He didn't look like he was engaged. It didn't look like he was trying to. And and who knows? Maybe that's just me. That's Maybe that's me being too hard on him. I mean, Kyle Williams found a way to thrive because of Darius's presence. You know, you saw Kyle Williams' production shoot up as soon as Darius was able to come back to the lineup. But you also saw what he said I, about Rex's defense once he got fired. Yeah. And him to him calling out uh, the, the play calling being too complicated. Bart Scott had a hilarious quote about that. He says, "Hey, uh, we couldn't. Sorry, we couldn't write it for you in Cran, Marcel. You figure it out." I I think that Darius to me was the he regressed the most out of any player on our roster because he's a guy you're looking at to be elite. You know, you pay him a hundred million dollars because you expect an elite D tackle. I, I want Aaron Donald is what I want for that kind of money. I'm expecting a D tackle who's going to go out there and wreck other teams' game plans for me. And instead, too often, it just looked like he was just another guy out there, which you just can't have. Now, who do you think, Chris, is the player most likely to improve on the Buffalo Bills roster in 2017? I'm going to go with Shaq Lawson. He, I didn't really hear him get chastised in the media, but I didn't hear him as a world beater at what he did. Well, he had his <clears throat> spots, and but he didn't... He didn't ruin our defense, so I just think he's going to improve upon what he learned in a limited role behind Lorax. See now, and that's my that was going to be my point to you is that I almost think that that's not fair because you're talking about a guy who 
they the Bills did the smart thing. He came off, he came back off his injury, and they slowly worked him into the game. Yeah, you know, they they didn't rush him in and make him start. They sat him. He kind of played behind Jerry Hughes and um, the Lorax out there is our D, is defensive end slash outside linebacker, and he got some sacks and he had some tackles and he did some nice things. I didn't see a lot out of him, but he's a rookie. You know, especially playing defensive end. The jump from playing defensive end in unless you're Von Miller, the jump from playing defensive end in college to playing in the pros is pretty big. So I, I'm not shocked that he didn't, you know, set the world on fire. I, I liked what I saw in limited playing time, and I'm, I'm willing to temper my expectations going forward. But I'm, I'm not disappointed. For me, the player that I think is most likely to improve in 2017, Sammy Watkins. It's a no-brainer. The guy played through. He was injured, injured. Then they just shut him down and IR'd him. And when he came back, he had, a, he was still hurting. But he had a couple big games where he showed, like, hey, I've still got some elite talent if I get put in the position to use it. Isn't he going for surgery again? Oh, I already had it. He's going to have that foot surgery. They're going to bring him, hopefully, the new head coach. And I'm, I'm keeping my hands clasped in prayer that there's a new medical staff in place. Hopefully, they do the right things with him. They bring him a lot because it's the same type of injury Julio Jones had. Julio Jones went on to have a very productive career, so there's no reason Sammy Watkins can't do the same. He, it just has to be treated properly. He has to be handled in the correct manner. Hopefully, the new coaching staff can figure that out. Chris, who is the player that looks to be leaving the team that you think will be missed the most? Your boy, Zach Brown. Zach Brown, huh? Zach Brown's an interesting case. He came in here, and I, I all offseason, I said, sign Zach Brown. We need a cheap veteran option. You know, we knew we didn't have a ton of cap room. I started calling out for Zach Brown, and when we signed him, I felt like the smartest guy in the room. You watch him in this system, and he thrived, and he's definitely earned a payday somewhere. I don't know where, but somewhere, and I don't know that with our cap constraints, I don't know that it can be Buffalo. So you're right. That's a guy who could, could be missed. For me, it's Kyle Williams. I think that for either his own personal reasons, you think he's going to retire or for financial reasons, given that he's set to count against our books for eight point three million dollars. We did talk about that last season. Yep. And we can save almost seven million by cutting him. Football's a business. I love Kyle Williams. I think he is the epitome of what you want out of a football player when you draft him. You want a guy who's all heart who maybe isn't the most talented guy in the field, but he's going he's gonna to outwork everyone around him. Fifth-round pick. You want that type of guy. If, you could, if I could get 12 of them, 13, 14, 15, if I could, if I could find 53 of them, I'd go out and win the Super Bowl three years in a row. <laughs> like that, yeah. You don't come across players like Kyle Williams every year, every two years, every five years. Kyle Williams is special. I expect that his number will be in the ring of honor for the Bills one day soon. I think that we've seen him play his last game in a Bills uniform. And I think that that makes him the guy who's going to be missed the most. Now, a player who appears to be leaving that we will miss the least, Chris. I'm going to hit you first. Uh, <clears throat> it's got to be general consensus that it's Stephon Gilmore. <laughs> you don't think we'll miss Stephon Gilmore? I mean, I will, because I think he was good. 
The rumors are that he wants top five money. You're not top five. You're <laughs> top ten, top fifteen. Mm-hmm. But for most Bills, I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around the most Bills fans don't like him. So you think that we're going to miss him the least? That he won't be missed? No, I don't think anybody here will be sad that he's gone. <sighs> man, man. I mean, it's a pa- look. The way I look at it, it's a passing league. The rules are made around the wide receiver to get the most out of their job. Mm-hmm. And if you can get your hands on a good corner, hold on to him. Mm-hmm. That's why I wanted Stefan over Tyrod. <laughs> but at this point, you're not willing to commit that money to him. So you think he's no? I don't think the trails. Yeah, I don't. He's a Levitre bird. Whatever. For me, I, I I tend to look at things a little more cynically than Chris. Player who's leaving that we as Bills fans and as an organization and as a team will miss the least, Dan Carpenter. I think Dan Carpenter has played, thankfully, his last snap in a Bills uniform. Probably the last snap in the NFL. I think that he's proven that he cannot be relied on to be uh, your every week kicker. He just can't do it. I mean, if kicking's a very cutthroat thing, too. I mean, you look at Roberto Aguayo. He was just drafted in the second, second. round. And now the Buccaneers have made no bones about it. They're going to go into next season with the competition. Yeah, Dirk Cutter, Dirk Cutter already came out and said that the kicking competition is going to there's going to be a competition. Yeah, it's not Aguayos. Yeah, and if and if you lose, whoever loses doesn't have a job. That's how competitive kicking at the NFL level is. I mean, I remember watching games. There were, there was a game where the Saints were playing the Vikings back when Bernard Berrien was still on the Vikings. Chris, you don't know football. So there was a game, and the kicker for the Saints, I think it was Gramatica at the time, missed four straight field goal opportunities, both at the end of the game, or three or four, at the end of the game, then twice in overtime, missed his field goals, and then Bernard Berrien on the very next play, after they took over on from the missed field goal attempt, Bernard Berrien caught a 48-yard or 50-yard touchdown pass to end the game. That's kicking, and he was fired the very next day. <laughs> That's the type of business kicking in the NFL is, and I'm sorry, Dan Carpenter, you're just not my guy anymore. I, I hate to do it to you. You're probably a decent human being. I just, I, we've got no room for it here. Do we have to agree on this next one? Player <laughs> most likely to get arrested or suspended? Between now and week one of 2017, who do you got? Marcel Darius. <laughs> I mean, Captain Darius, you know, I love the guy, but Jesus Christ, Marcel, knock it off, knock it off. Take all your bullshit, package it up and put it somewhere for a few years until you're not playing football anymore. Then you can go out and do whatever the hell you want. You can smoke what you want. You can stay out all night. You can drink as much as you want and drive around in public. Well, you legally can't do it, but it won't impact me. It won't impact me personally. Take that (laughs) all the money that we've given you and. If you have to pay to surround yourself with good people, <laughs> then do it. Because if he screws up this offseason, is it a year? Mm-hmm. His next suspension? Yeah, his next suspension is one. Well, no, actually, I think it's 10 games. 10 games? 10 games and then one year. Jesus. Next superlative, player most likely to leave our roster and not end up with a significant role on another team. That's got to be Zach Brown. I think Zach Brown could go start for most teams in the NFL. Yeah, we don't have the. I don't think we have the cap to. Oh no, we don't. 
A guy who's going to leave our team and not get another job out there somewhere. Oh, not get another not job. Not get another job. Oh, I thought I thought it was get a significant role. No, no. A guy who's not gonna who's gonna leave here. For, for me, for, then for me then it'd be Dan Carpenter. For Bills fans who don't remember these names, I'm gonna run some by you. How about Avion Black? Anyone remember Avion Black? Or um was it Ehus? Tim Ehus? Or um I'm just trying to think of all the other shitty draft picks. Ed Wang? Ed Wang, anybody? You know they've done this. They, this All happened. of these players that the Bills have picked up, drafted, signed in free agency, who come here, play for us, and then when they leave here, they never, no other team wants them because they're not good football players. It's one of the things that they've, somebody got interviewed on the news, like on WGRZ here in Buffalo, and they told the reporter that their name was Gabe Northern. Former Buffalo Bills. And that's like a game that they kind of play on the morning show on WGR with Howard and Jeremy. Like, what? Like, if you were downtown and they did some stupid thing about Canal Side and they were like, hey, we want to interview on the news, what's your name so we can put it on the screen? And you give them a, just a shitty former Buffalo Bill player. That's Somebody hilarious. actually did that. Got Gabe Northern. Put on the TV. I'm telling you, I would, I would, Co Simpson, Ashton Yabuti. Like, there, there's been no Justin Rogers. There's been no lack or no limit to the number of you could probably, those players who leave this team and go, don't go on to do anything else. You could probably NFL. get by with Ed Wang. My 2016 pick for player who's going to fill that role is Marquise Goodwin. I think that Marquise Goodwin leaves this team, he tries to find work around the league. But the thing is, speed receivers are everywhere. People already have them. And usually they have guys who are better football players than him. He's made a class. I mean, you think about guys who can stay. Travis Benjamin, better than Marquise Goodwin, plays that role for for the Chargers. John Brown plays that role better for the Cardinals than Marquise Goodwin. I think that there's maybe four or five teams who would sign him. And if they do, he's not going to be featured in their offense. He's definitely not going to be their starting outside wide receiver like he was here in Buffalo, which says more about our wide receiver position than it does about his talents. And then the funniest Bills Mafia moment of the season. Chris, I think we both know what that is. Toss it to hold it. Hogan gets hit inside the five by Stefan Gilmore. Some fan threw something right out on the field, too, at about the one-yard line. Yeah, initially I thought it might have been a flag, but I didn't say it because it didn't look yellow. (laughs) So they've discarded that. And it's now... Discarded that <laughs> I you mean that boner shaped object? Yes, I that eagle. Is, that, that's Iron Eagle and Dan Fouts talking about the dildo that was thrown on the field. There's a penis on the There's, field. There is a penis. There's a huge penis on the field. A giant rubber dong is on the field, ladies and gentlemen. Bills, Bills Mafia, you never fail. (laughs) Every year. You never fail. Every time I think I've seen it all, somebody steps up and just one-ups it. I I can't wait for next season just to see what kind of horrific shit goes on. September, get here now. (laughs) Oh, folks, this has been a lot of fun. But we got to wrap it up here, and we're going to do so with our season 
LVP and MVP awards. Chris, who's your pick for season LVP? Well, that would be Jerry Hughes. You blew it! You give it to Jerry Hughes, eh? Yeah. If Eric Turner put on Twitter that he seems to think that we that we schemed more to bring out the best in Alexander than we did with Jerry Hughes. Well, that, that, that just sounds like an asshole move by our coach, that if that's the case. That's why he's not here. <laughs> that's why he's not here. <laughs> now, if I, had an LV, if I had an LVP, someone that I could really just hang a, just hang a beating on, it's, it's going to be Dan Carpenter. Dan Carpenter, you blew it. You blew it! <laughs> oh, and then season MVP. Who was the most valuable player to this team? This is a tough one, Chris. I mean, there's so many players who were invaluable to the continuity of the team. I mean, you've got, you look at what we did up front. I I was thinking Eric Wood maybe, but then I thought about it. Our running game still stayed strong even with Eric Wood out for the season. Richie Incognito, you know, he brings that, that meanness, that, you know, that, just hard ass mentality to the game of football that our team needs that we need we thrive on up front on the offensive line. And he's trying to you know teach it to the kids who are you know the young guys in the offensive line, which I think is a good thing. But can you really call a guard the most valuable player on your team? No. For me, it comes down to LaShawn McCoy. As do I, LaShawn McCoy. Because they're winners. Winners get to do what they want. LaShawn McCoy is a winner in every sense of the word. The guy just... Longest uh, TD run of his career against Jacksonville. You heard it earlier. His game against the 49ers dominated. No, no, he's he was incredible all year. I mean, last season, people bagged on him because they said, oh, you know, look, he's losing a step. He's this. He's that. Apparently, he didn't lose a step because he whipped some ass in Philadelphia during the Super Bowl. Oh, <laughs> That, that that's that's erroneous. No one was assaulted. What I think is crazy is this: he he was not just a thousand yard rusher; he was almost a thirteen hundred yard rusher with thirteen rushing touchdowns. I mean, it's it's incredible. He averaged five point four yards per carry. His career average is only four point seven. That's he's he is unbelievable to watch play the game of football. He was clearly the engine that drove our offense. Without LaShawn McCoy, I don't know where we would be as an offense. I mean, Jonathan Jonathan Williams doesn't look terrible. And Mike Gillisley, he's a good north-south runner. But well, we didn't use him enough. But no one is as explosive. He might LaShawn McCoy might be one of the most explosive playmakers in all of football. And like I said, he is without a doubt the best Bills running back I've ever gotten to watch play this game with my own two eyes. Just the way he can create his own plays, the way he he doesn't need to be set up. You know, LaShawn McCoy, th- I'm going to dedicate this beer to you. Chris, cheers. I'm out of beer. And folks, that brings us to the end of tonight's show. You know, it was nice to reminisce about some of the finer points of 2016 and kind of laugh at some of the poor points. It's going to be interesting to see what happens going forward. We're entering another new era of Bills football. New head coach. You know, new staff, new quarterback, possibly. It's no one knows what's going to happen. We'll have a lot of draft prep between now and April. We're going to hit all 
the other th- teams within our division, Miami and New England and the Jets. We'll talk draft with those people. We've got a lot of stuff planned for the future. Stick around. Uh, stick with us through this pre-draft process. I, I promise you it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Guys, see you in two weeks. <laughs> I got to go. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Pile Report. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.